From KOSU, you're listening to Songwriters and Tour Writers, a podcast covering the songwriters and musicians that call Oklahoma home and those that might just be passing through. I'm Matthew Viriapa. On this episode is Parker Millsap. You've got to roll with the punches. Parker Millsap is a singer-songwriter from Purcell, Oklahoma. On his latest album, Be Here Instead, he explored writing from a more vulnerable and personal point of view in a way that felt like he was sneaking up on himself. The album was produced by John N. Yellow, who had previously worked with bands like Sonic Youth, Dinosaur Jr., and Kurt Vile. Together, they recorded the album with a full live band while also experimenting with different effects and tools. In this episode, Parker talks about how he started writing more using an iPad and feeling more fearless in his approach to songwriting. If Bob Dylan had an iPad growing up and he knew how to operate it, he would probably use it. All of that and more on this episode of Songwriters and Tour Writers. That heavy My name is Parker Millsap, and I'm from Purcell, Oklahoma, but I'm currently living just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, got a new record out called Be Here Instead. How long have you been living in Nashville now? Oh, um, I think we're coming up on like seven years, uh, like right around this time, about seven years ago, I moved out here. Does it feel like home, quote unquote? <laughs> <laughs> Nashville? Yeah. It, it's starting to. Um, I was on tour so much when we first moved here that I like hardly ever got to spend time here. And then when I did get to spend time here, I would, I'm like kind of a recluse by nature. So it's taken me a minute to like get out and meet people. Um, but weirdly the past like year and a half, um, I've met quite a few musicians, um, and actually got to hang out with a bunch of people that I knew from tour, but, um, we always just saw each other for like 30 minutes on tour, but so many people live here. And so I'm finally figuring out like, Oh, a lot of songwriters and musicians are down to just hang out. (laughs) So, uh, so that's been really good. Um, getting to like spend some time with all of the, yeah, just great musicians around here. And, um, it feels really good. There's like kind of an amazing number of amazing players and writers in this town yeah i've heard that a lot from people who tour regularly like despite unfortunate reasons for uh, being stuck where you are it's kind of given musicians and uh touring musicians especially a chance to kind of look at their surroundings and see where they're actually living and enjoy like being stationary for a little bit yeah, it was uh it rocked me pretty hard at first because so much of my uh I guess sense of self-worth and income <laughs> you know uh come from touring. Uh so it was kind of it was really weird at first, but now you know getting close to the other side of all of it um I'm really grateful for like the forced slowdown. Um I think it was really time for me to just be in a place for a while. Um and y- you mentioned uh is Nashville home yet like within the past yeah, year and a half or so, it's felt, it started to feel a lot more like home. I feel like my original home will always be Oklahoma. Uh, the, every time I go back, I'm just like, yeah, this feels like home. This is the place where I, you know, grew up. Um, but Nashville is definitely starting to feel more like a, um, a second home now that I'm actually getting to spend time here instead of being here for a few weeks and then out for a few weeks and back, you know. You're about to head out on, I guess, kind of some solo tour stuff pretty soon right yeah i am um i haven't played a real gig in it's been well over a year probably close to a year and a half um by the time i play these solo shows and uh i'm really excited i've got a bunch of new material um from this record you know and trying to figure out how to do all of that as just me has been pretty fun um because the record is so full band and you know stretches a lot of different places sonically so yeah, it's been a pretty good time to like figure out how am I going to do this with just an acoustic guitar? It's a little scary, but I, I think I'm going to handle it. Yeah, it seems like kind of quite a challenge to put on yourself when you haven't like performed any shows. It seems like probably in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a very long time, the longest time of my adult life for sure and um maybe, you know, even going back to age like 13 or something this is the longest i've gone without playing a show um 
I'm just excited. I'm excited to get back out there. You know, I, um, during quarantine, I had to contend with that part of myself or really just recognize for the first time that part of myself that, um, wants or needs complete strangers to clap for me. (laughs) Um, you know, so like I, I recognized that and then kind of got through it. And it's like, okay, I'm in a place now where I feel like I maybe don't need that all the time, but man, I'm excited to go get it. <laughs> it seems like that was reflected on some of the material on this album, just kind of like a change in headspace, um, which a lot of this material was just written right before the pandemic, right? Yeah, most of it was written in like the year and a half, two years leading up to the pandemic, but... um quite a few of the songs were written yeah in like the month or two before or at least they were finished like the way that I write is really slow so I often like start a song and then it might be two years before I finally think of the line like oh that's what the song's supposed to be about and then I can finish it you know um so a lot of this stuff was wrapped up pretty quickly before pandemic happened um and then one song I wrote in between I wrote that like maybe a month in the pandemic. You know, I, at first I I felt like it was going to be like, ah, oh, it's going to be like a month or two shut down and like then life will return to normal. But <laughs> right about when I started realizing like, oh no, this is going to be a thing for a while. Um, I wrote the song in between. After you're through laughing, but before you start to cry, felt like it weren't lasting, so you gave it one last try. Now the worst has happened, but you haven't said goodbye, ain't it me? The in-between. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that you take a long time to write, because I saw you say that the recording process for this album was like the fastest you'd ever recorded anything. Uh, it was it was really fast um, in some ways as far as like the basic tracking yeah it was it was really quick and and we only um, we only had two weeks in the studio but we did like man probably two months or so of like rehearsal and pre-production which what that looked like is we'd all get in my basement here where you can see there's like drums and stuff this is the rehearsal space um, We'd get down here and like open all the doors and windows so it felt safe, <laughs> like put some fans on and whatever. So there's air circulating and um, we would just work on the songs and then we'd record like a little voice memo on my iPhone and then send it to the producer who lives in North Carolina. And he would send us back notes, usually within like 30 minutes or something. He'd be like, change that guitar solo uh, <laughs> uh, or this needs a bridge or like uh, turn the bass up so I can hear what he's doing, you know. Um, so we did, yeah, like a month and a half, two months of that, which was really great because by the time we went into the studio, we just knew how everything was going to go. And it wasn't a question of like getting a take that was passable where nobody messed up. It was a, it was about getting the take that felt the best. Like we all knew that we were going to play it well. Um, but because we had all that rehearsal under our belt, we were able to just go in and do it and have fun and not be worried about messing up, be more worried about making it amazing you know, than just not messing up, which is uh, really nice. And like, I don't think I would have had, we would have had that uh, vibe <laughs> had we not done so much rehearsal. The the producer uh, that you were sending this stuff to, um, it was uh, John Agnello. Yeah. And yellow, like lasagna. It's, it's like silent <laughs> G. Why did you decide to work with him? Um, so... I did phone conversations with many different producers and, you know, we uh, reach out to the people at 30 Tigers, my uh, like distribution label services company and be like, Hey, who you guys have in mind? Cause they have like a list of people that they've, you know, worked with like pre-approved kind of uh, producers. So we talked to a bunch of people and everybody was great, but John and I just had a really genuine phone conversation. Um, I called him up and we talked for like 15 or 20 minutes and it was fun. Like we were able to make fun of each other really quickly, <laughs> which for some people is kind of like a love language, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it, um, he has like a, a fairly similar personality to my dad in some ways. Maybe it's just cause he's a dad and all dads have like a dad thing. Um, <laughs> but it was just fun and comfortable. And, uh, 
we just really hit it off. And at the end of our conversation, which was pretty short, he was like, well, send me demos. Like, I want to hear, I want to hear what, what you got going before I, before we continue, you know? And, uh, so I sent him a few demos and within like three or four hours, he sent me back really thoughtful notes. This is before we had agreed to work together. This is before there was any money on the table. He was just like listening to the songs and giving me really great feedback. Um, and, and like specific feedback too, like, like do that guitar solo again, or, uh, I really like the lyrics to this one, but the music's not quite there. Like try to, you know, try to write some new music for this one, stuff like that. That was practical, um, advice, you know, sometimes producing can be, uh, kind of an amorphous thing. It could be like, make it darker. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. That's very, um, yeah, intangible or something like, okay, I can turn the tone knob down. I don't know. But he had very practical, uh, like song structure advice, um, which is really great to have. Um, and he did it in a way that didn't offend me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looking at his discography, though, it seems a little more harder edge rock and roll kind of stuff. Um, I don't want to mischaracterize you if I'm saying like you kind of come from the Oklahoma folksy uh, singer songwriter mm-hmm. tradition. And for either of you, it seems kind of like, oh, just on paper, it doesn't seem like the the most natural fit, I guess. Yeah. I, I hear that. Um, and you know, to be honest, the, the only records of his that I was super familiar with when we started talking were the two Kurt Vile records that he did, um, Smoke Ring for My Halo and, uh, Waking on a Pretty Days. Waking the dawn of day, think about what I want to say. But I loved those records and I was like, well, if he can make something that sounds that cool, then I'm in. <laughs> yeah. um, but then after we started talking more and actually like began, you know, working on the songs and making the record or preparing for the record, I started listening to all the other stuff he's done, the Sonic Youth, the Dinosaur Junior and all of that. And, uh, and I love all that stuff too. It sounds so good. Um, but I, I, I haven't really talked to him specifically about this, but I think he enjoyed having a different kind of thing to work on. Um, you know, a lot of this, this record sonically is all over the place. There are lots of cool keys sounds. There are lots of cool acoustic and electric guitar sounds, but very different kind of sounds from a lot of the bands that he's traditionally recorded. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the guitar sounds are really clean, whereas Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth, that's, often not the case you know um and i think he just kind of enjoyed working on something that was a little bit outside of his wheelhouse and same for me like working in a way that's maybe more akin to like a indie rock record rather than an americana record was really fun like the approach with a lot of americana uh as far as sonically has to do with like capturing really clean 3d lifelike representations of what's happening in the room which is amazing and it's like a skill it's a whole skill set in itself but john's method is a little bit more like how can we tweak this a little bit how can we put everything that's going on through a little bit of a filter or um or add some mystery to it with sonic juice <laughs> um so he, he just does lots of really fun stuff when he's recording and mixing like putting drum mics through guitar pedals you know uh like have leaving a guitar like in the room that's tuned to an open tuning that complements the song and then micing that up so it's kind of like ringing out throughout the song and every once in a while if there's a, a spot where it fits he can you know ride the fader up so you hear this guitar ringing out but nobody's playing it so like lots of really fun uh stuff like that that I love when I'm listening to a record where I'm like, what is that? How did they make that sound? I love that experience. And um, I feel like he was able to 
uh, give me that experience with my own music a little bit, which I'd never really had. Um, and we never even really talked about it. It was just like, he was just like, this is a cool idea, let's do this. And I'm like, okay, tell me when to sing. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a lot of Americana stuff, the the intention is like, we're trying to make something that sounds like if you were in the room with the person, like this mm -hmm. is what it would sound like. Yeah, super clean, like you said. So it is interesting to like bring in someone who's worked with like the godfathers of the shoegazy kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a lot of fun. And like as a guitarist, you know, it's something that doesn't come through my music a lot, but I love guitar music. Um yeah, shoegaze, any kind of crazy finger picking stuff, any kind of noise, any kind of stuff where it's going through like a hundred pedals. That's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned some of the the bands that he had worked with that you really liked. Um, what were the other influences that you had on this album? Um, was there something that you were listening to that really inspired you? Yeah, I feel like with every after I make a record, every time when I'm done with making a record, I'm like, okay, I need to listen to some different music now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so like the lead up to to this record I was listening to, and it's not stuff you really hear it, directly in the recordings, but it definitely affected like my approach to both the songs and the recording. Um, listen to a lot of jazz um, leading up to this record, like particularly like the you know, 1955 through like 1963, that era of jazz just freaks me out and uh, really fell hard into that. Listened to a lot of D'Angelo, like all of his records leading up to this record. Um, listened to a lot of Arcade Fire, um, their most recent record, Everything Now. Just kind of blew my mind. I heard it exactly the right time. And like that blend of really great songwriting with... Uh, you know no fear sonically you know so like really heartfelt good lyrics with music that can go anywhere and draws from everything um i really i really love that It's just one of the beautiful things about music is that you can incorporate so many different ideas and sounds and disparate elements and you can combine them all into this thing that ultimately hopefully feels like you, you know, and that's how I feel about this record. It's like I feel like I was able to pull from a bunch of different places but ended up making something that felt like me. Um, which I'm learning more and more is just kind of inevitable when you, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're seeking and trying to make something good, no matter who you're copying, <laughs> you're not going to copy them right. And it's going to sound like you anyways. Yeah. And that's definitely kind of the, the folk tradition of just, you know, you, you cover a song, but it just ends up being kind of your own take on it, no matter how hard you try. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, you cover a song and then eventually you, you forget a lyric and change it. And then you forget that that's the wrong lyric. So you keep singing it that way. And that's how it goes now. Like all that stuff. I, yeah, I love it. You also called like this, the way you recorded this album, like an older style of recording. What exactly characterized it that way? Um, for me, that just means like getting full band takes. So a lot of like wow, so much music that I know of that's coming out now is recorded kind of like one thing at a time. Like there will be like somebody playing with a drum loop and be like, that sounds cool. Let's add the next thing. Let's add the next thing. Let's add the next thing. And that's actually how I ended up writing a lot of this record was like making demos on my computer kind of one piece at a time being like, well, this guitar part's inspiring. I'm going to record that and then see if I can find a drum groove that fits underneath that. And like, okay, that feels pretty good. Now that's something I can sing along to what what melody what lyrics are coming to mind so i like wrote the songs in a very new school way but then i took the demos to the band 
we learned them and rehearsed them and, you know, did some arranging and tweaking. And then when we went into the studio, you know, like the guitar, the bass, the drums, the keyboards, um, most of the record, all that stuff is done together, you know? And then later we overdubbed like vocals and violins and a couple more keyboard and guitar things. But like a lot of the meat of the record was recorded like all at the same time. Um, but then put through like, you know, fun, fun filters and John's creative mixing. Um, so to me that that's just what it means is like the record wasn't built one thing at a time. The actual, the recordings that you hear a good chunk of it is people playing music together at the same time. Yeah. And technology just makes it so easy to, to do a track by track like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, there's a, a good amount of overdubbing and like us, like sitting around, like messing with the piano, like that's not the sound. Like, let's try this pedal. Oh, that's not the sound. You know, um, there was a lot of that, but a lot of the, uh, the feeling of the songs comes from that live performance thing of like, you know, the, it's not really to a grid. It's things aren't lined up and perfected. Um, there's plenty of creative overdub going on, but like the, yeah, the juice, the meat of it is just us playing the songs. Um, and I like, I like how that feels. So the amount of demos, it seemed like a lot. Uh, you sent him like 30 songs. Yeah, there was about 30 songs that I sent him to go through. And we got through them pretty quickly. Like the good ones, we could tell they were good, you know, <laughs> pretty early on. But I was just like, I'm just going to send you everything, man, <laughs> just in case. Um, so and like some of the demos that I sent him will probably end up being songs on the next record because I've gone back and been like, oh, now I know what this needs, you know. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun going through all the material with him. He was kind of going through demos around the same time that we were rehearsing. So he was listening to a demo version. And then a few days later, he'd get like a live band version from me. Um, and then some songs he would, you know, just be like, I don't think this one's it. So we wouldn't even make a full band demo of it. You know, were all these demos just like you said, recorded phone memo, voice memo. Yeah. A lot of them I have, I have a f one or two rehearsals that I recorded like a multi-track in, you know, my computer, but, um, eventually I just figured out it's way easier. And honestly, a lot of times sounds better if I just would stick my phone about three feet in front of me on a music stand and, uh, and just hit record, you know, it kind of got the whole band and it sounded like a band in a room. It felt like a raw, like the rawest version of what it could be. So, you know, I wasn't able to pretty anything up like I could in a, in a DAW, but also a lot of it was just for the immediacy. Like if I had recorded it and tried to be sending demos back and forth from a uh, computer program it just takes way longer you know the voice memo as soon as it's done you hit stop and then I could just send it to him and then he could send back a message like five minutes later like try that again but a little bit faster and then I could just do that and send it right back to him it was, it was almost like he was remote viewing our rehearsals <laughs> yeah I, I can imagine those uh those raw demos just feeling like super like a punk rock cassette or something Honestly, man, I've, I've actually, I talked to my manager before we even released this record. Like I'd really love to someday release the demos for this record. Cause a lot of them are very different, but a lot of them are very similar. Um, and I think as a collection, it's like, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool piece. Um, you can kind of see how we got to where we got to on the record. Um, and yeah, a lot of the voice memos sound really cool. I've, I've really fallen in love with, um, the way that the iPhone voice memos app records it it's like just the right amount of bad, <laughs> you know, it reminds me of like old field recordings or like, you know, Grateful Dead recordings that are recorded on like a reel to reel with just a microphone, like a few feet above everybody's head. Um, I, there's something really charming about the way that, yeah, the iPhone captures, captures sound. Well, I, I personally would really love to hear those demos. Um, I find <laughs> listening to demos is so interesting. Like, just side by side with the actual song, you get to really just see like the AB. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another reason that I'm interested in releasing these eventually is because some of the songs did end up so far from the uh, initial uh, conception. Like there's the song always. Started out as like, I mean, it sounded almost like a Bill Evans 
thing with like Frank Sinatra singing or something like that and it ended up as like this kind of disco-ish song. You got a smile I can taste While I'm away It's a waste Honey, you got the stuff I hope that I got enough Will you love me always? Always, always And then Damn It was a ballad. Like, it was a really slow, kind of sappy ballad. Um, and John actually was like, hey, man, I really like these lyrics, but the music's not doing it for me. Like, try it different. <laughs> he said, and actually, he specifically said, he was like, try it like a U2 song. And so I spent like three hours with my delay pedals out and like trying to do U2. And I was like, hey, dude, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do U2. But I said, I'm going to try it like a Lou Reed song instead, because that seems simpler. So I just simplified the song and sped it up. And then once I did that, I was like, oh, this is the feel. This is how this song is supposed to feel. I've been searching for it for about a year and a half. And like, this is how it should feel. You can't see the forest. When I did that too, it allowed me to write the whole second half of the song because it was much slower and a ballad. It only needed like two verses and a chorus, but when I sped it up, I was like, oh, it needs more lyrics. It doesn't feel done. It ended up in this completely other place from where it started. that would be fun for people to hear i know when i hear artists demos and then hear where it ended up it's inspiring and that's a big ass too to like hey just just do you too <laughs> yeah. yeah but he did like he's so nice and he would always like start with a compliment you know what i mean he'd like butter me up a little bit like man i really love these lyrics can't believe this that's so so awesome but the music needs to change <laughs> <laughs> um and i think you know i'm maybe only now in a place in my life where I can accept criticism in that way. You know, I think I would have been too sensitive like four or five years ago to just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. I'll try it. Coming up next, Parker talks more about the shift in his songwriting style and how the last year and a half have changed how he hears these songs now. That after this break. I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. For years, loved ones have recorded the stories of their lives with us for our archive at the Library of Congress. But at this moment of profound political divides, we're trying something new. It's called One Small Step. We match you with a stranger with different politics than yours. And through StoryCorps, you get to know them as a human being because it's hard to hate up close. KOSU is helping lead our effort in Oklahoma City right now. Sign up at KOSU.org. Did you and your producer have like kind of a shared musical language of like bands that you both were like kind of into and understood the sound of that you you could kind of vibe on? Um, a little bit, but not really. I mean, we, we obviously have a lot of the same touchstones of music over the past, like, 60 years or something like that. But he's, you know, John's, hmm, I believe he's in his early 60s now. Um, and, you know, he grew up in a bit, like, he grew up in Brooklyn in the 70s, mm -hmm. you know, very different from Oklahoma in like the early 2000s <laughs> and you know what I mean just like we come from very different places and we honestly we didn't even use like 
references for sonics for a lot of this it was just like is the material there is the performance there okay i trust him to make it sound amazing because that's what he does is he gets great sounds um and he trusted me to yeah get the material to a place where it's going to sound good and we it wasn't like we were reaching for like we want it to sound like this record or like this band and this band had a baby that was never a conversation it was just like what does this song need or like, man, I'm hearing a piano thing on this. Or like, we need something kind of washy sounding here. You know, like it was very uh, immediate. It was never really about like conceptually trying to reach some unidentified place. It was more of just like, you know how to record. I know how to write and sing. Let's we just both do the thing that we know how to do. And it's going to be great. I also heard that you you tried a lot of different ways of writing, which kind of amounted to the, to the 30 songs that you ended up sending him. Um, what were some of those different ways? How are they different than what you had been doing, you know, for a while now? Yeah. Um, in the, in the past, uh, I guess before this record, a lot of my songwriting was, um, done thematically almost like I would often have like an idea for a song, a specific story I wanted to tell or a specific lyrical phrase that felt good or sometimes like a musical, a guitar thing that I would build out into a song. I just stopped having as many conceptual ideas about what a song should be about. And I started playing more and more with like just music. I started learning more theory. Um, and, and I started using really the iPad a lot to write. Um, it has so many built in drum machines and synthesizers and like rhythm loops and like all this fun stuff you can do and I was just like why have I never done this I got an iPad it's all just built into it um so I started doing that like trying to trick myself into being creative of just like putting on a drum loop and like plugging the guitar in and the first chord progression that came to mind just do that and then loop it you know so I don't have to play a full take and uh yeah so kind of backwards from how I used to do it used to I'd have an idea and I'd sit down with a guitar and I'd just bang it out until I felt like that idea was done but with a lot of these songs it would start out with like a weird musical idea that would be stuck in my head for weeks and then finally I'd record it and then figure out if there's a beat that could go behind it and then start overdubbing overdubbing just putting tons of guitar solos on top of guitar solos and eventually I'd find like the melody within one of the guitar solos you know so this is a very long way to do it um but very freeing creatively, you know, like this record, I didn't feel like I had to do it a certain way. Just like, I can just kind of follow, like, I know how songs are made, you know, I can just kind of follow the muse, I guess, <laughs> and just use different, use different tools to get to kind of the same place. Um, I, I feel like I was able to reach a certain kind of fearlessness as far as approach to songwriting. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been really great. Now I feel like, oh, I have all these skills. I can write a song with guitar. I can write a song on piano. I can write a song using just a drum loop. Um, yeah, and it's it's like opened up all kinds of doors for me creatively. Well, especially when you think about like, you know, singer-songwriter techniques or stories are so like ingrained in tradition now. You know, you always think about like, oh, you break out your acoustic guitar and you just like sit there for hours with it. And that's how you, that's how you write a song because that's how people have been writing songs for like decades now. Yeah, yeah, or like hundreds of years. I mean, since like the, you know, the troubadour bards and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, if Bob Dylan did it, then this is why yeah. I'm going to do it. <laughs> exactly. If Woody Guthrie did it, this is how I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> they didn't have iPads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then I have the thought, like, what if they did have iPads? You know what I mean? Like, if if Bob Dylan had an iPad growing up and he knew how to operate it, he would probably use it. You know what I mean? Um, so that was kind of the how I talked myself into <laughs> doing that. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it's a weird transition 
nary kind of space we're in for for music and technology because so many kids nowadays are making you know music just all by themselves doing it track by track like that but they also fall into that trap that you kind of were thinking about where it all sounds so gridded off and like too perfect yeah i i love uh as i get older the more and more i love hearing a band like almost fall apart <laughs> and then get it back together you know like i've i've been uh i was never into the grateful dead until like two two and a half maybe maybe three years ago now and it just clicked i was like oh i like i i i was listening to a live thing of theirs and it was so bad for like a good 30 <laughs> seconds. I was like, what are you doing, guys? Get it together. And then they did. And then they all snapped back in together on the one. And just like, how did that happen? It was, it's exhilarating. You know, it's like watching somebody almost. It, it's terrible to say this, but it's like watching somebody almost wreck and then make it out. You know, you're just like, yeah, go. You did it. <laughs> and and I love that tension. And, you know, I think that has a lot to do with uh, falling in love with jazz, too. It's like those guys weren't about to fall apart but it's like you're about to fall apart until you hear like oh there's the one again wow you know Mm -hmm. um yeah that excites me and i love i love the humanness in any music and i think that electronic music can be very human um it's it's about like the amount of love you put into it yeah for sure did you try and go about adding some kind of (laughs) almost falling apart element to to the recordings or is that something you're just going to try and save for like live performances? Uh, I'll try to save that mostly for live performances, but I was like less uh, insane about fixing things on this record in the past. Like I could be really, um, I guess just meticulous of like, Oh, that vocals like just barely out of tune. Let me do it 30 more times until I really nail it. And this time I was a little bit more inclined. I mean, we still did tons of vocal takes, but I was more inclined to, uh, like trust the producer's ear a little bit more than my ear from time to time, um, which is scary. And I didn't like it at first, but he, you know, we'd be listening to playback and he'd play me like, okay, here's this take of this line. And then here's this take of this line. Which one do you like more? And I would say one or the other, but then he would like put it in context with like, you know, some music leading up to it and then music leading out of it. And then when he did that, it's like, oh, well the other one actually sounds better in that context, even though it's maybe not quite as perfect. Um, so there are some moments like that um, where I feel like I hmm, exposed myself a little bit, um, and I think that's the that's like the brave thing about music is showing showing your imperfections. And uh, as long as you're not a terrible singer, that's what people connect with. You know, people connect with the human quality. And you have a song that's pretty much all about being vulnerable. Yeah, it's called Vulnerable. <laughs> I was playing. This it's just like this two chord piano thing, um, dun, 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 dun. and uh, the line popped into my head. Um, you think resistance, makes you seem so strong. It's like oh, that feels good to sing and like fits melodically with this little thing I'm doing. Okay, just go. Like, what does that mean? You think resistance makes you seem so strong? Like, okay, this is a tough guy. <laughs> and and from there was able to just yeah fill out the lyrics pretty quickly. Because I just trusted my gut a little bit more than maybe I would have in the past. And just like yeah, that that feels like the line that needs to be there. What's the next line? Okay, that feels right. What's the next line? I've gotta tell you, it's I just gotta say. Sometimes your meekness isn't a weakness. Sometimes a whisper says it all. It's hard to get close when you won't show emotion. It takes a whole lot of trust to fall. So you've got to be vulnerable. A lot of my earlier records were more focused on, like, I guess, character-driven narratives is the the phrase that's been thrown around. We're like, you know, I'm telling somebody else's story, sometimes from, like, an omniscient point of view, and sometimes from a, you know, more first-person point of view, but mostly other people's stories. Um, But with this record, I feel like maybe just 
a lot of that was maybe because I was younger and I just didn't feel like I had a lot of experience to draw on. And some of it was just me realizing like it's time for me to be me in my songs um, rather than telling somebody else's story. Um, yeah, and so Vulnerable, the song is all about that. Just like you got to be open. You have to show people who you are um, or else you're hiding. was just more on my heart that was about me um, that I wanted to express, you know. Sometimes your meekness isn't a weakness. Sometimes a whisper says it all. It's hard to get close when you won't show emotion. It takes a whole lot of trust to fall. So you've got to be vulnerable. It's, it's weird to me looking back how unintentional a lot of them were. Like a lot of these songs, I would have some music going and I often would have like a melody in my head and then just whatever the first lyrics that came to mind were, I would just try to like capture whatever it was I was thinking about and just go. Like with no editing, don't think about what this song's about, just start writing down thoughts and try to make them rhyme and like fit into this melody, you know? And, um, I think I ended up just kind of like sneaking up on myself and figuring out what I was thinking about by just going and not thinking about it, just write it down and, uh, get this idea down and you can always go back and change stuff. But I found that like the kernel, like whatever that first lyric or first concept was that I would think of while I was messing with the music ended up being like the, the, central piece of the song did the the title just come to you instantly like that of be here instead just something to tell yourself uh yeah the that song started out on ipad that's one of the ones that like uh i mean it's pretty electronic you know um i i just found a drum loop that i liked yeah i just got this chord progression going and then I I remember that one the first thing that the, the song starts with the word stop. Stop looking behind <laughs> And I was like aha funny it's the the first line the starting line is the word stop. Uh, I was like okay stop what? Um, and really quickly that one just kind of spilled out the lyrics and, and then when I was thinking about the title for the record like that be here instead line is in that song be here instead this is the the more i thought about the title the more that one like those words were like glowing for me every time i would read back through the lyrics to try and find something for a title it's like yeah that feels like what we've all been told the past year and a half but also something that I really need to tell myself. a lot of times like I deal with anxiety and depression like 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 who doesn't in this crazy modern world you know and that that was just a line that would help me chill out from time to time because often when I find myself in a some kind of bad loop or a bad place um, I'm living somewhere else like I'm thinking about some other time I'm thinking about some other place um, that isn't my immediate surroundings so telling myself be here instead it's like instead of being at that party three weeks ago where you said something silly <laughs> or instead of being at the gig in three weeks where you're worried about messing up just be be right here instead of there um and i found it helpful um and it's not a new concept but it, it really sank in for me uh during quarantine everything else is again 
I was messing around with all of the synthesizers that are built into GarageBand. They're all kinds of great arpeggiators. So you just like hold a chord and it's like, you don't have to do anything and there's lots of movement. song that has really just kind of stuck with me is real thing which it it takes on such a different meaning (laughs) thinking back on the last year but you didn't even write it about this last year at all um it's just a i don't know if the word coincidence or ironic is like correct in this situation but (laughs) um what inspired that track um i was so i was on tour and uh, I think yeah, it was solo tour and um, I was just missing my wife. And this is before pandemic, but, you know, we were FaceTiming and texting and calling each other, you know, keeping up. But um, I just really missed her. And I was like, all this technology is, it's like a false promise. It's like, you can be in the same room as the person you love from a thousand miles away. I'm like, no, you can't. I can see him. I can hear him, but that's nowhere near the... Uh, satisfaction or the gravity of like being in the same room with the person that you love. Like there will never be a technological replacement for that. So I was feeling kind of like frustrated by all the the technology and all that. And, um, wrote that song from that place of just like, I miss my wife and I'm tired of being on the phone about it. I want to be there. Give me something real. Give me something true. Give me something I can feel. Like I even played that one live a few times and I was like, this feels good. This feels like a song that's going to stand, you know, the test of time. And then the pandemic hit and then it started to like weirdly reveal all these layers that I didn't intend to be in there. I can't stay. Once everybody was relying on FaceTime and Zoom and all this to to see the people that they loved, it's like the song got bigger. You know, the song took on some kind of bigger theme. And, you know, I've had that happen with other people's songs where I listen to a song a hundred times and then the hundred and first time I'm like, oh, maybe it's about this, you know. <laughs> um, but I'd never really had that experience with one of my own songs. So that was kind of a... Uh, weird <laughs> it was just weird like oh is that what i meant <laughs> you got something easy you got something pure you don't have to tease me honey give me some of yours give it to me straight i'll take it on no diving through your roses honey i don't mind the thorns i don't mind the thorns The real 
yeah, just like, oh, it, it's suddenly taken on a different meaning than I had ever intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like it, for me, it was uh, reassuring because um, a lot of you know a lot of great songs can be listened to from many different perspectives and still be meaningful. Um, and so when yeah when that happened, I was like, oh well, this one has at least two perspectives that can be listened from, and it makes sense. Um, yeah, it feels like an accomplishment weirdly, even though I wasn't trying to do that. <laughs> you know, thinking back to uh, those demos and these live shows that you're about to start doing, um, do you think you're going to go back to like maybe how you originally played some of these demos um, just as, as a solo show? Yeah. Some of, some of the things will be closer to how the demos were and some things will be like the opposite. Like, uh, like now here, for instance, I wrote that one like entirely in the iPad and it was like, you know, 90% electronic sounds, but I figured out how to do a solo acoustic. <laughs> so when I go out on tour by myself, it'll be like a solo acoustic track. And then when I go out on tour with the band, it'll be kind of like a, like a full band doo-wop type thing. Um, so I'm really excited to explore all the different ways that these songs can be some of them will be very similar to how they're on the record, but other ones, yeah, like now I know that they can work other ways, so I got to at least try. Mm -hmm. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um, Let's see. Um, let's save the planet, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of shit being on fire. Um, yeah, tired of everybody being forced to use, you know, toxic, things just to get by their daily life i don't know what i'm trying to say here but let's do let's do better by the planet y'all let's at least make an effort to protect the, this beautiful place that we live and yeah. maybe stop destroying it that'd be nice mm -hmm. yeah i think <laughs> when we rolled over into like the new decade and then we got hit by like wildfires and then a pandemic i think it all just like took a sudden sense of urgency <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's it's insane because scientists have been screaming about this for like 40-ish years. Like, hey, this is bad. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. This is going to be bad. Please do something. This is going to be bad. And then all of a sudden it's bad. And people are like, oh, wow, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, well, I think you know. Um, yeah, it, I definitely at the beginning of pandemic especially was like – reading revelations <laughs> and freaking myself out you know <laughs> trying not to trying not to fall back into uh the fear of you know some of my childhood <laughs> yeah it's that uh southern oklahoma christian tradition that you're like <laughs> yeah i i grew up around a lot of like fire and brimstone preaching and like it was not um hmm. it wasn't like the worst thing in the world, you know, looking back, but now I definitely recognize like, Oh, parts of that weren't worth holding on to. Um, but yeah, definitely when, when things started kind of hitting the fan a little bit in 2020, I was like, okay, just get through it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't read too much of the Bible. <laughs> I guess since you bring it up, uh, has that upbringing kind of affected your songwriting nowadays? Um, do you still feel it's kind of, I guess, track marks in, in what you write. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit, you know, I really, where I'm at now for a long time, I was maybe a little bit resentful of like the fear that, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't even really from my parents or anything like that. It was just like the general culture of, of, um, that kind of Christianity. It was like, there's just a lot of fear there. And, um, none of it was ill intention. That's something I think about a lot now is like, wow, the reason for all of that is these people were concerned for the safety of my soul. Like looked at it in a certain light is kind of sweet, <laughs> you know, um, like they cared and they didn't want me to go to hell. Um, and, and you know, like the main thing that I'm grateful for is the exposure to live music. Like I, because we were going to church like Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, Every time we did that, there was live music. And on top of that, it was music outside of the context of like stardom or commerce or being, uh, having a hit, you know, it was music that was made by a community for a greater purpose 
without the exchange of money or without like worshiping the people making the music. It was like music for music's sake and, or really music as a vehicle to commune with God. Like (laughs) the church I grew up in, the Pentecostal church, like that's what it is, is there's a music service and like ideally somebody is speaking in tongues by the end of the music service, you know? Um, So getting to experience music as something that had nothing to do with, yeah, stardom or money um, and and music that felt like it was for a higher purpose um, to like bring us closer together and closer to God, whoever that is, uh, that really had an effect on me. And that's still like what I believe in, you know? Um, So had I not had that experience, I don't think I would be where I am today. And, you know, hymns, like the melodies and some of the words, of hymns still really resonate with me. And like when I've written a really good song to me, it'll feel like a hymn. It'll be something that's easy to sing back. That's um, often like relaxing or wholesome <laughs> in some way, you know? Um, so yeah, those that's still definitely like, it'll always be a part of who I am, you know? Uh, and I've learned to not fight it, but to accept the the really great parts of it and, and, you know, hold those close to my heart and then all the fear and the things that require mm, minimizing other people or other beings, plants, animals, etc. Just get rid of that, but keep, keep the really good stuff. Is there a song that you find a lot of comfort in that you, that you wrote on this album that the lyrics feel like a hymn to you? Yeah, a few of them, but particularly being alive, um, for me, uh, it's like, really, it's just a song about breathing, (laughs) you know? You're inhaling, you're releasing, you're not failing if you're breathing. You're inhaling You're releasing Like, to me, like, that, that, that little series of lines is one that I'll tell to myself, just like, You did it. You took a breath. You lived another three seconds or whatever. Like, there you go. Success. Anything more than that is bonus round, you know? Tell me one more. Can you ask for? You have arrived. Tell me one more. Are you It doesn't always work. I still freak out from time to time, <laughs> but uh, but it's nice to have, um, yeah, little phrases like that in your back pocket, like mantras, I guess, um, that you can just pull up and tell yourself and um, kind of yeah, reconnect with your body and the world, see your place in it, and you know maybe not be so overwhelmed by it. people have found like so much power now in in the routine of like just doing something every day and making sure that you do it yeah even if it's not a prayer just like saying something before you go to bed every night just like somehow stills the heart yeah absolutely i think you know that's something i've thought about a decent amount is um with religion in particular is the importance of ritual and like how much of it is, you know, how much of the religion is the ritual and how much of the ritual is the religion. And, you know, uh, either way, I think that having ritual puts you in a place where like you, it's like, it's, you create this context around yourself where you can, uh, enter your mind or, or talk to God and not be hung up on fear. Like if you have a mantra or even if if it's like a great song, this song that always puts you in this particular frame of mind where you feel comfortable and at ease, um, that's the ritual working.
Where can people uh, find your music? Um, what's your website, social? Yeah, it's parkermillsap.com. Millsap has two L's in it. Um, and then you can just look up Parker Millsap on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. Um, I don't post extremely regularly, but I do from time to time. <laughs> find those links to Parker Millsap and his latest album on KOSU.org, along with a full list of the songs that were played in this episode. And on November 20th, KOSU will also be presenting Parker Millsap's stop in Oklahoma City at the Douglas. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU and the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find songwriters and tour writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Viriapa.